0: You are listening to the Life Reconstructed Podcast with me, Teresa amaral Beshwaite, grief expert, best-selling author, and widow. I'm so glad you're here because in this and every episode, I shine a light on the widowed way forward. Hello and welcome. It is my pleasure to welcome Daniel Kopp to this Bonus episode of the Life Reconstructed podcast. Daniel is the founder of Wise Stewardship Financial Planning. He's an Air Force veteran, a widower to Sarah, and husband to Anna, and so much more. Daniel, thank you for joining us.
1: I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me, Teresa.
0: My pleasure. Tell us your story.
1: It is a uh, one of love and uh, and of loss, like so many of the listeners here. Um, as you introduced me, um, I'm a widower. Sarah and I got married back in 2012. I was uh, pretty young, in, early in my Air Force career at the time, so we embarked on a very typical military life, moving around quite a bit. Um, she'd had some pretty serious health issues even before we got married, but um, like many things in young married life, we were in our mid-20s at the time, like you try to focus on other things, and um, we had such a blessed time, a, a wonderful marriage. And as a result of some of those health issues, though, her health was never great. And one of our great desires was to be parents, but we weren't able to do it at that time. In fact, we went through three miscarriages together. So I got an early taste of grief. Um, ultimately, with benefit of hindsight, God was using that to help teach me some, some lessons. Fast forward to late 2016 time frame. And uh, her health started to decline even more. We were flying across the country to go see doctors and specialists who really had no answers for what was going on until she became mostly bedridden, just lack of energy, a lot of other things going on. So I became her full-time caregiver. This creates some unique challenges in my life at the time because as an active duty Air Force officer, I had a lot of responsibilities, including uh, what we call TDYs or temporary duties, uh, work trips as well as deployments. And so ultimately came to realization that while the Air Force family had done a great job supporting, and I was really thankful for TRICARE, that our insurance covering all those expenses, realizing that this path could not continue. So we started setting in plans motion for me to leave the Air Force and, and to find that next chapter. A little bit in here, I, I found financial planning and, and uh, started thinking about that as the next career. But events kind of overtook us. And in summer of 2017, we pretty much lived in hospitals between Idaho and Utah at the time. The hospitals in Idaho weren't enough. We had to go get one down to Salt Lake City. And ultimately, after weeks and months of this, Sarah wanted to evaluate some different options. So we had some hard conversations with family, with loved ones, with the medical team. And she made the decision to come home to hospice. And that was a gift at the time. And we shared those last weeks together and we were able to fly family out and, and spend time together before I held her hand and bitter and earthly goodbye. So here I was, young, barely married, five years, and my whole life was turned upside down, like so many of our listeners could relate. And so that was the part of a grief journey. But looking back, there was a lot of anticipatory grief, especially realizing a life that I had dreamed of, an Air Force career, things like that, were just not going to happen. And so there was suddenly this giant hole. And um, thanks to some amazing support from friends and colleagues and my faith, I had built in some buffer time. I had planned to take a sabbatical. Um, Sarah and I wanted to use that some time just to figure out what was next. We had planned financially for that. And we had even looked at like potentially visiting family and friends using an RV. So (laughs) here I was. And because of those conversations that Sarah and I had had, it was a beautiful time for me to step back, rest, reheal, um, refresh, and think about what was next. So I spent eight months kind of thinking about this next chapter, and ultimately that led me to Why Stewardship, where I have now learned some things personally and professionally. I'd gone through some academic training. I'd been a volunteer financial coach for a long time that led me to this passion for helping people with their money. I got my certified financial planner designation academic training done, and ultimately decided to launch my own firm to do planning in a way that I wanted to, uniquely working with other young widowed people who had walked this similar journey, who had questions about money, to do it in a way that was fee only. That means I didn't take any commissions to help eliminate some of those challenges, and in a fiduciary way, always working clients' bed sisters. So that's kind of the short version of the grief journey, and here I am today. I'm now remarried, as you said. Um, have a son weston and um, God has blessed in so many ways but I'm thankful to take what I've learned and now help others
0: daniel isn't it um isn't the statistic 80% of widowed people change financial planners am, am I getting that right
1: that's the statistic that was in a, a I believe it was a journal financial planning article yeah so the, it, it's a vast majority of people and historically that's because in my opinion there's been so much in our country where gender stereotype, right? A man or husband will often run the finances and have the relationship with that financial advisor who for better or worse, you know, that financial advisor will often ignore the non-financial partner in the relationship. So there's not that bond or the ability to step in, right? Death and grief makes people awkward. They don't like to talk about it. So there can be a lot of layers of challenge there.
0: Absolutely. And then you start WISE Stewardship Financial Planning to serve widowed people. Yes, That's amazing.
1: Specifically. I also work with a lot of active duty military as well, because of friends and colleagues and, and connections through that. Many times though, this has blended these, what we call niches or, or specializations in where I now serve a lot of gold star widows. Mm-hmm. So these are widows whose spouse was on active duty and they died, what we call in the line of duty. Um, So I have many, many Gold Star Widow clients as well.
0: Amazing. What, Daniel, do you think widowed people need to know about finances and about financial planning?
1: This is an interesting question because there's so much that comes in a financial change, right? Especially if there's a loss of income. Now you're having to learn about things like Social Security survivor benefits. You're trying to figure out what to do with life insurance money maybe you you're most likely your own estate plan now needs to be updated after the loss of a spouse so the the list can get quite long so the number one thing that i often tell people especially early on in the grief journey is don't try to look at everything all at once it's it's overwhelming enough in the grief journey the brain fog that cognitive load so said we what what i help clients do is prioritize decisions to three buckets now soon and later and this framework has come through some research through um, Sudden Money Institute, and ultimately the, and the certified financial transitionist. And this helps prioritize. Like there are some things that have to get done now, like going in and starting benefits, or making decisions sometimes about health insurance, or reevaluating cash flow. But a lot of other decisions can be postponed. And so prioritizing what to do now, and then delaying some of the decisions until you're in a better place or have trusted counsel can be a huge help to that initial financial decision-making matrix.
0: Absolutely, my brain suggested that everything had to be done immediately. And and I think many people's brains do, and then that leads to overwhelm, which often leads to inaction. So I love now, later, eventually, as, as buckets, that's so good. Daniel, what misconceptions do widowed people have?
1: Well, one of the biggest ones, in fact, you and I have talked about this before, is that everything is is going to be gloom and and doom and that there's no financial hope. And while there are many challenges that come, obviously, with the loss of a spouse and income and two partners and things like that, many times, especially if good planning has been done ahead of time, right, there's opportunities to explore new chapters in a different way. Social security survivor benefits, especially for young children in the home, are one of the best kept secrets and many people are very surprised at the benefits that they earn from that. I think the other piece comes down to right understanding that widows and widowed people you are far more competent and capable than you ever thought possible, right? And I've seen it over and over again, people rising to the occasion, especially if finances were not something that you did a lot of before loss, whether by, you know, choice or just natural preference, right? Many couples just delegate roles and responsibilities, and there's nothing wrong with that. And so, when the non-financial spouse now becomes that widow thrust into that role, confidence in yourself and the ability to recognize and learn and ask good questions is a skill set that I'm confident that every listener in this podcast can can do and find in in themselves.
0: And yet, it seems like we can't, right? We we we're on a learning curve having to learn finances at the worst possible time in our lives. Catastrophic, in yeah. fact. And our brain tells us it looks to the past, and we have no history of being the financial sort of person. And now we have to go to a financial planner and, and a permission ourselves to be a beginner and ask questions. That can be so daunting. And yet what you're saying, Daniel, is you're capable. You can do this.
1: Absolutely. Yes. I've seen it and and the research backs it up too. So in my um, master's in financial planning and financial therapy at Kansas State, one of the papers that I worked on was working with widows who are dealing with what we call money avoidance. So some research from doctors Brad and Ted Klotz have looked at what we call the four money scripts. And what this means is our early childhood, our formative years, our family of origin, all these things have a powerful financial narrative that is written really into our subconscious. Oftentimes we're just not even aware of it. And there's four kind of primary ones, money avoidance, money vigilance are kind of the ones that I see most with widows. There's also uh, two others, but money avoidance comes as the idea that money is bad or, or rich people are greedy or I'm not good at money. Therefore, I don't want to do it. And so when you get this colliding, this money story, this unwritten rules about life and money colliding now in widowhood with grief and thrust into this role A financial decision maker, or or what we call that household CFO, that chief financial officer. So now you're having to do everything. Sometimes the grief can get mixed up with that financial anxiety, that money avoidance. And this is where working with a professional or a financial therapist or a regular therapist to understand what is grief and what is just general unfamiliarity with money. And the research that I've done and looked at before, shows that when you can separate those two so when you can work on your grief separate in many cases from your unfamiliarity or that financial anxiety that comes with money in itself that's where the the growth can accelerate and the widow can have that financial empowerment that confidence to move forward
0: so good so many of my clients and and myself included worry so much about money and yet we don't know the math right but but in without avo- avoiding maybe looking at the math because that's scary in and of itself we yeah. just decide that we're going to be living in a cardboard box in the near future and and so often we don't know the math and yet it's scary to look at the math so would would you call that an avoidance money avoidance
1: so so that could definitely be part of it i mean one of the behaviors that sometimes is representative of this not a condition but just something that is right it's not necessarily good or bad just part of our our past, so it would be like a stack of financial bills or paperwork just sits unopened. Mm-hmm. You don't log into the account because you don't want to know what's there, right? So those those would definitely be symptoms of it. But it, it comes from that underlying belief that there's a moral conflict that's related to this. So sometimes unpacking that helps to understand of like where you're at. The other piece of financial anxiety just comes often from some research that came out of studying the nine eleven widows is this idea of somewhat, sometime, research is called blood money, right? They don't want the money. Mm-hmm. You want your spouse back, right? And I can certainly empathize with that in our situation. So reframing the financial benefits such as life insurance or things like that that come after the loss of a spouse or a partner as a gift of love, right? This is something that they did, they set up to provide for you. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, there's that natural inherent conflict of, you'd rather have them, not the money. Oh, at the okay. same time, this was that gift that they gave. So yes, taking some time, whether that's with a friend, a trusted family member, someone in your circle who can help, right? But And just start to look at the numbers little by little. You're not going to get a full understanding that goes into the idea of some of it you'll understand now, some of it you'll understand soon, and some of it you'll get to later.
0: Mm-hmm. We each have a relationship with money, just like we have a relationship with people and many other things. And yet, we don't examine it. No one teaches us about our relationship with money or no one helps us to see what it is. I have a whole bonus chapter for my clients and it's all your thoughts about money and how mm. you, if your ability to have it and your, you know, how would you, how you would spend it so many elements to how we think about money. Yeah. And I'm sure you deal with that every day.
1: Indeed. Yeah. The, other things I really like is this idea of visualization, which can be very hard in grief, but at the same time, little by little, like imagining yourself three years from today, looking back on everything that went well, financially went well in your life. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Is that an emotion? Is it a number? Is it some specific goals in there? And and maybe if you're able to journal a little bit and then come back to it. And the other great question I often love to ask is for those who often say, well, I'm no good with money. Like, oh, okay. Well, think back to your past. Has there ever been a time in your life where you can think of the opposite—that you were good with money? Inevitably, with a little probing, right there, there's often a, a kernel there, and we can, you know, dwell a little bit there, dig down a little bit deeper, and say, okay, what was it about that particular experience? I remember one client told me a story about how she saved up to buy Christmas gifts each year, and that was her financial win. And the careful planning, the budgeting, so it didn't have to go into credit card debt and things like that. And that was, I mean, that exemplified a huge host of financial behaviors that translated well into this next chapter of discipline, attention to detail, forward thinking, planning, setting aside, all that kind of stuff. So inevitably, I think that's where that, again, we are hard on ourselves.
0: Um, Absolutely. So while your brain might offer you the thought, I'm not good with money, with Daniel, I think what you're saying is, okay, but how are you? Mm. How have you been good at money? Let's go find that.
1: find those wins from the past.
0: Exactly. Because they're there. They are there. Absolutely. It's the mental flexibility of just because your brain is offering you a thought, what if it's not true? In what ways is it not true? What Mm. if the opposite were true? Asking yourself those questions, because we simply cannot believe everything we think. It's not all true. And even if it seems true, it doesn't serve us. And the third question I would ask is, is it kind? And so yeah. often it's not true doesn't serve us and isn't kind but I would say we go for all three we want yeses on all three of those right we we th- can yeah. think true useful and kind thoughts on purpose every day Yes and, I and love I that think, framing Yeah and I think it really works with finances but it just works in life too
1: Yeah especially because you know the the negative thoughts especially when they pile up um, I'm sure you've talked about the research before or seen it right our negative thoughts outnumber our positive ones so it's, it can build a, a negative self reinforcing pattern um, absolutely and, and at least for many of my clients and myself right writing things down to see it in black and white can be a powerful impetus rather than just dwelling on on the thoughts
0: yes yes absolutely one thing that i did for myself and and i imagine you have lots of clients that do this i would my brain would just look at my say checking account and at, if it got lower, then my brain had us living in a cardboard box, you know, me and my dog. And, and I wasn't seeing the big picture at all. Mm. So this was years ago. I took a couple days off and I put everything into Mint, which I know Mint is going away. And I'm curious what you would recommend in its place, Daniel. Um, yeah. But when I log into Mint, I see the big picture. And that just refocuses my brain and it it makes me see the big picture, which is so good for me. And and I don't know if you have recommendations for other apps or software to help us see the big picture.
1: Yeah, that is a a great point because we've got micro focus, right? Well, that's like the weekly, monthly transactions, that's kind of spending plan, which is important. Or the macro, the big picture, right? What is a net worth? What is our savings goals, targets? Like Where are we at on these kind of big picture things? And having the ability to to switch back and forth between both is important, but also very hard in grief, right? That task switching, that mental model flexibility is challenged in grief. So again, that's where a trusted counselor or planner or friend, things like that can help with that. As far as software recommendation, yes, I have many clients complaining about the demise of Mint. So the one that I have been personally using and sending clients to is called Monarch Money. So it's very similar Difference is It's a paid service. Um, Right now, I believe they still have a a discount code going on for people switching, but it's um, very intuitive. It's a way to bring all your accounts together. Great, flexible budgeting tools, but also looking at things um, comprehensively. A, A friend of mine actually helped design some of the financial advice components into it. And as a result of that, got an inside look. I don't have any association or affiliation with the company, but I think that's one that I can... Uh, s- strongly recommend to your listeners.
0: Love it. So it's like Mint in that it's a read-only um, sort of just accumulation of, of your various accounts, maybe retirement accounts, uh, maybe property value. Mm-hmm. It pulls yes, everything together.
1: You can okay. see your net worth. You can see all your accounts together if you want, as well as use it to track spending on a, on a regular basis.
0: Excellent. Really good to know. Any other practical tips that you would offer to widowed people?
1: Yeah. So the, one of the biggest ones is if you're looking to hire some financial help or move away from your prior financial advisor, things like that, having a good list of questions to ask, and, and I'll give this to Teresa so she can link it in the show notes. I'm part of an organization called NAPFA, the National Association of Personal Financial Advisors, that's been doing this what we call this fee-only work for decades now, over 40 years. And they've got a great list of questions that you can use to kind of evaluate Uh, understanding the biggest thing is the different types of fee models out there, which is so confusing to the average consumer, but just understanding what you're getting and what you're paying for. So some advisors out there work on the commission model. So they work oftentimes for a financial company. So that might be, you know, such and such mutual or such and such bank and things like that. And they represent that company and they sell that company's products. And that company's products may or may not be good for you, but they're going to oftentimes be very limited in what they sell and the only way they get paid not bad in and of itself but the only way they get paid is by selling you a product whether you need it or not is you know sometimes up for question and i've seen some questionable sales so just understand that some people out there are very limited in some of their planning right they're going to sell a product for a specific need that you may have a good example would be long-term care insurance right you need to buy some long-term care insurance you go to a company they sell you that product that serves that need but they're not necessarily going to be able to offer a full suite of planning across investments and taxes and estate and education planning and student loans and all that kind of stuff. Then you have a middle group that will do financial planning, but be more restricted. So we would call these more like a hybrid role. So they might sell you some products, but also manage money and or uh, provide some level of financial advice. My preference, my bias is certainly towards the fee only. So we don't sell any products. We never take a dime of commission from anybody. And then There's a couple of ways that they can work together. So some planners in this model will offer an hourly charge. So you agree to that ahead of time, a flat fee. So that might be billed based on a project work or over an annual time period. Or many of the planners in this group offer to manage assets or manage your investments and charge just kind of a flat percentage of that. And so typically this is the least conflicted model of someone on the fee-only side. And oftentimes just by my experience in the profession is those people will offer the most comprehensive set of services. So interview across those, understand the ranges, know what you're paying, know what you're getting to find the right fit. Don't be afraid to interview multiple professionals and ask hard questions ahead of time so that you can, and especially somebody who's has familiarity and experience with working with grieving people and, and widows, that's another great piece of that.
0: Yes, is there a way to find grief savvy financial planners or advisors? You you certainly are one, Daniel, but are you the only one?
1: I, I have a network uh, of other people that are, also specializing in this, but I don't think we're anywhere listed specifically on a website. Well, I take it back. we have probably on XY Planning Network. So that's the group that I'm a part of. And you can sort one of the filters there is by working with widowed people.
0: Interesting. Okay. We'll put that link in the show notes too.
1: And that's a group. Like I said, we're all fee-only fiduciary. We always work in client's best interests.
0: Very good. Anything else you'd like to share, Daniel? I think,
1: uh, as I mentioned before, this now over five years for me in this grief journey and reflecting back on this idea of there was, there is and was a giant hole in my life, right? Sarah is gone. But I'm thankful for all the memories that we had together. And so there's this giant hole, but slowly moving forward and doing my own grief work and paying attention to great resources, you certainly being one of them, I wish I'd known more about back then. And as a piece of this, right, the hole is still there, but I've been able to move forward and build a life around that that incorporates that pain that I've learned from and now take in a chance to use others. One of my friends, um, Carolyn Moore, she uh, runs the Modern Widows Club and she talks about this kind of stage of grief and then grace and then growth and the ability to give back to other people. You may not feel anywhere near that, especially if you're early in your grief journey, but there will come a time when I know having seen that personally and, and with so many other widowed people that you'll have the opportunity to give back, to share what you've learned and to help others too.
0: Absolutely. Talk about Anna a little bit. Did Did you think that you would marry? I'm sure there was a point at which you couldn't imagine mm-hmm. it and maybe said you didn't want it, but here you are widower to Sarah and husband to Anna. Would, do you mind speaking to that a little bit?
1: Oh yeah, that's a great question. Well, it was something that Sarah and I were able to talk about a little bit, especially in those last few weeks that we got together in hospice. And I certainly wasn't thinking about it at the time, but she encouraged me to not hold myself back if and when the right time and person came along. So that was extremely helpful. I I know many people don't have the benefit of that, especially with a sudden or unexpected loss, but share her encouragement.